You're listening to the Apple Insider Podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Apple Insider Podcast. I'm Victor, and joining me is William Gallagher. Hello, and excited, William Gallagher. We're days after the event, and I'm still thrilled. You sound calmer than me. Uh, I was quite pleased with the things that were announced. I have come to terms with what was announced. I've come to accept what I can and can't afford with what was announced. And <laughs> I'm I'm quite pleased. Now, you know, we were discussing this a little bit the other day, and I know that not everyone was pleased. So let's let's talk about that for a moment. Sure. Inevitably, there are people that come away happy and people that come away a little upset that they didn't get all that they wanted from an event. In the past, sometimes it's been analysts that have come away disappointed or underwhelmed. And sometimes it's it's users, right? So I, I think so far we've seen that analysts were pretty happy. Uh, I think it was uh, JP Morgan and Rosenblatt that were positive about Apple following the announcement. That is actually the first thing I check, um, not just after an event, but day to day. I want to know that analysts are happy because I worry about them. So, but yes, you're right. That's what I've been seeing as well. Um, everybody who isn't a general user seems to be very pleased. So that's, that's obviously better than not. Well, it, I mean, it, it depends on what you focus on, right? If you focus on the market and Apple's position within the market as, as your point of importance, because say you're an investor, for example, then worrying about how analysts feel about it and if they issue positive notes is, is a measure. Right, it's something you you focus on. The and I, I own a few shares. I have a small small amount of Apple shares, so that's that's something that's there for me. But I'm not interested in this. I don't really focus day to day. Oh my gosh, how do they feel today? Because I think more often than not, they view things under too fine a microscope. Yes. Day to day, rather than the sort of long game that Apple seems to usually play. Right, and you know, looking at the big thing is is are the devices that Apple has announced so far successes? Are they going to continue to be successes? Is Apple resting on its laurels? Uh, and is this a company that is going to be profitable for the foreseeable future? Not just do they have a large amount of cash, which yes, they do, but is it a company that is continuing to sell and continuing to be well received in the marketplace? And the answer is yes. And if those things are true, absent an abysmal failure of a product, and, and there hasn't been one in a long, long time, mm. then it's it seems to be like this would be a business worth owning, right? The, the Warren Buffett position that I've described before yes. here is that if you would like to own the whole company as a business, then you should feel comfortable owning shares. In which case – the most important thing I've got to ask you is, what was your first Mac then? Uh, my first Mac that I purchased was a – this is actually a good question. I think my first Mac that I purchased was the Power Mac G4 400 megahertz with gigabit Ethernet. Mine was the Mac LC, the original LC. Mm -hmm. uh, do you feel that now it's time to replace these two, two machines with an iPad Pro 12.9 inch USB-C connector gorgeousness? Well, <laughs> interestingly, the iPad Pro does have gigabit LTE as a chip. So, so you have the gigabit connection. 
and and most everything that I could do on that Power Mac, I could probably do equally well or better on the iPad Pro. I'm sure. Given that there's been, what, almost 18 years of difference between the two, one would hope. <laughs> yeah, and they make little incremental improvements from time to time. Occasionally, yes. yes. But that's not the point of this conversation. The point of this conversation is that J.P. Morgan and Rosenblatt were very positive about the event, but not everyone was positive. So let's talk about this. The Mac Mini, one of my favorite machines, mm. right? Yes, we've discussed this before. I, I don't have one. My wife, Angela, does. She's one of the people who have hung on to it for a long time uh, and, and loves it, even though she's more of an iOS person now. Right. So, but, yes, but the Mac she, Mini. Oh. She is both smart and beautiful. This is what I'm saying. And okay. has a Mac Mini. Now, she's held on to hers for quite some time, but the Mac Mini that was introduced is not exactly the same kind of Mac Mini. That is, it's the same form factor, more or less. But, but the Mac Mini that was introduced ha- was pitched more at, at those doing build farms or server farms or render farms. It was, it was kind of pitched as a more industrious machine. Mm-hmm. I mean, I see where you say it. And certainly those were you know, the photographs they were showing of millions of these uh, – slight exaggeration, well, hundreds of these things. But it's – By virtue you know, of the fact I that they put 10 gigabit Ethernet in the thing. You can order this with uh, 10 gigabit Ethernet. It? Yes. Makes it yes. appropriate for network centers. Makes it appropriate for using the network link as as a means of render. Yes, but you can get it without that. So I think that still makes it consumerable, if you like, if that's even – I think the whole thing, the difference between consumer and, and professional uh, is very blurry. Uh, and I, I think they've done a really clever job with this, making it um, – affordable is too strong a word apple just doesn't do affordable well, but affordable let, let's, let's think the original one was a g4 that cost 499 dollars. this one costs 799 dollars and can come with as much as 64 gig of ram yeah not without adding to the price my, my problem is i i remember that first mac mini but i couldn't compare i i'm, I'm just i'm not technical enough to understand to be able to look at that uh g4 and compare it to uh intel i3 or whatever it is that's in this Uh, i can't feel the difference so so interestingly Um, this is the first i3 that apple's ever shipped every other machine that apple's shipped has been an i5 or an i7 the first time here they're using an i3 and it runs rings around not only the g4 that originally shipped but also the i5 that was in the last one the last one was a, uh, a 1.4 gigahertz machine with 4 gig of RAM. This is a 3.6 gigahertz i3 with 8 gig of RAM. Uh, pres- presume it's the clock speed and the RAM that makes the difference. Uh, I would also the SSD. That- now the other okay. one also had SSD, but if you've got a faster SSD, you know, could they not have put in an i5 and ramped the clock speed of that up and done everything else the same? Would that have been not better in some way? Well, it it would have been somewhat better, but again, it comes down to what you're trying to use the thing for. Right. I think I've just uh, effectively complained about the Mac I Mini, mean, and when you add I really prices, don't want to do that. When you add some cost to it, you can get an i7. So yeah, they did exactly what you just suggested. Oh, okay. Right. So again, they have the options. Everybody should be happy. So who could possibly not be? So So why are people unhappy? What are people unhappy about here? Oh, I know. They don't like the color. Yeah. No. So 
I preferred the other color, but okay. So I, I think, you're just going to walk over that one. I think okay, I'm, I'm, not, quite I'm agree. ignoring your color comment because it's it's <laughs> okay. facetious, trivial, silly, inconsequential. I actually, I mean, I'm not totally unserious about it. I'm just mostly unserious about it. But you have a, a much more um, practical criticism, or rather, you know of criticisms that are practical. So, so what's the big complaint people have? The, the complaint is that Apple has abandoned consumers with this model, that, that this model is not for the consumer. And it's a reasonable argument to make. It's It's got a load of pro ports. It's got the, the options for the 10 gigabit Ethernet, which is clearly not a consumer thing because at this time, no consumer has 10 gigabit Ethernet in their home or even in their small office pretty much. And no consumer need bother getting those options. They are that. They are options and they are extra costs. Right. You know, Ethernet is is one of those things where we like it, we use it, but in a lot of places, it's also not even installed. People just throw up a wireless base and call it a day. Yeah, yeah. I used to have wireless, excuse me, I used to have wired here in this house until uh, something snapped under, the cable is broken somewhere under the floors, uh, floorboards, and I've just never been bothered to dig it up and repair it or replace it. So I've been working wirelessly for some years now. Oh, actually, I still remember the last time I moved, uh, we got professional movers in because there was a, a time uh, constraint, and that was a very good idea, except the poor man, I could see him just holding this frayed Ethernet cable he'd accidentally yanked out of somewhere. It was actually funny. But, yeah, so I'm wireless for lazy reasons, really, but it seems to be okay. I can well see why you wouldn't be. Everyone is wireless for lazy reasons. It's, it's convenient. Okay. You throw up the base, you're done. You call it a day. Yes. And provided you don't have a lot of people saturating it and a lot of traffic saturating it, it tends to work more or less, right? Mm -hmm. But I'm of the philosophy where if things can be wired, if they're, non if they're stationary items, then they probably should be wired because you get a little bit more security, you get faster yeah. speeds – and and the the pipe is wider. It's not just about the uh, the speed. It's also about saturation, and you get uh, you know you get stability out of that kind of thing, right? It's it's assured that it's going to stay up, right? And that makes sense. You know, I have yet yeah. to wire all of my house, but I'm moving towards that direction. I've I've started putting things off of a a switch. I've consolidated all of my various little. Eight port and five port kinds of switches into a twenty-four port or forty-eight port. Uh, I've got a couple down there that I'm experimenting with right now. It's um, and I'm getting into power over Ethernet. You know, these are the kinds of things I was looking at ten gigabit, but I can't find a whole lot in the way of ten gigabit Ethernet switches. I'm seeing mostly fiber, and it, it's it's one of those bonkers things where do you really want to run fiber in a residence? I've got fiber to the residence, but do I want to run fiber within the rooms? That's kind of nuts. Of course. Well, you say that now. I remember when it was uh, peculiar, people having networks of any description in the house. And now, even if we don't all necessarily realize we have, we have. So go ahead, cover it. And while you're doing it, buy yourself a Mac Mini with the optional uh, greater uh, connectivity. So oh. sorted. So I'm, I'm hmm? telling you, so would we recommend the Mac Mini as a consumer device or recommend it to consumers? Okay. Uh, yes, actually, I would. If I was looking for a desktop Mac um, and I had screens and things already, um, I think it. I think it's a very good consumer. It would be nice if it was the four nine nine five nine nine price, 
but for what you get i think that entry level one is is very good and i would i, I would genuinely consider it i'm not in the market what i long for is a new imac uh but i would seriously look at um one of these uh, and i i granted I'm, I'm like consumer plus um i do a lot of consumer things and a bit of prayer things with it it seems good for me so i say yes right to consumers and the Mac mini I, I also would say yes, and knowing that the machine is overkill for some consumers. The the thing that I'm thinking about, as I just did an inflation calculation, $499 in 2005 when the machine was a G4 is mm-hmm. equivalent to about $644 in 2018. Oh, right. Now, okay. this machine is a $799 machine. It's got yeah. a little less in terms of hard drive storage. That 128 gig is a little light, but the rest of it is much more well-equipped. I'd actually forgotten about the storage. You're right, that is tighter. The thing that was on my mind uh, was typically that I know over time I would want more RAM, but actually that's a thing that you can upgrade here, isn't it, later? Yeah, basically, you can forget Apple RAM and go to, I don't know, Crucial or somebody and buy the same RAM for vastly cheaper later when you want it. Right. Now, the, the RAM in the previous model mac mini was soldered to the logic board and was not user replaceable every mac mini prior to that model had user replaceable ram and we're back to that in this model yeah i guess say i i don't know but i believe it's a lot easier to replace this time uh i upgraded the ram in angela's imac and i i had to do this thing you hear about the putty knives to get in and oh the crack you have an old makes. one oh no 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 so yeah i'm not starting kidding. at about she hangs like, on 2012 yeah. the mac mini it became the the silver slab with the black rotating disc on the bottom. And to access the RAM, you just rotate the black rotating disc on the bottom. It comes off as a door and the RAM slots are right there. You see the kids today, they just don't know when they've got it made. Uh, I should also say I'm very happy that Angela hangs on to things because she's hanging on to me. So yeah, but back to the technical side. So yeah, RAM, brilliant. You can do that later. Everything about this says consumer to me. Now, have you placed your order for your iPad Pro? No, I have not. Why not? I've only just got an iPhone XS Max, uh, which I, it's only you and me here, isn't it? It was a real stretch going to that. Uh, so the idea of then adding on another um, thousand or more for an iPad Pro as much. I, I have one of the original uh, 12.9 inch iPad Pros, and I don't think there's been a day in the three years i've had it that i haven't zeroed out the battery i've used it so much i do think it's great and i would love to get one of the new ones but i'm trying to be practical here i would use my imac more so i'm looking well they didn't give me the option of an imac um but i'm still not going to go completely ios yet what about you i mean i think uh in, there's a lot of this this is um you know almost f- like fantasy football of what would you buy in the apple store if money wasn't an object and in that case um i would actually quite like the macbook air and the ipad pro please yeah both of them i am a big macbook air fan i i had the 2011 model when it first debuted as the uh, the more affordable more powerful model I have a MacBook Air from 2014. Along the way, I had one from 2013 or so. And I like the machine. I really do. I always wanted one that was a bit more powerful, and I always wanted one that could could keep up with, with modern OSs. But the 2014 MacBook Pro, a 15-inch, is more capable at running Mojave 
than I can on that 2014 uh, MacBook Air. I was listening to you uh, talk to Dan about this uh, a few days ago, um, and I thought that was terribly interesting about what you were both into. No, but actually, sorry, uh, to slip back from MacBook Air uh, to the iPad Pro, uh, you were talking to Dan about the USB-C port. I had assumed that Apple was slowly moving everything over to USB-C, but you two have good reason to think that actually they'll keep lightning on the phone. Is that, do you still think that? I, I'm mixed. Dan thinks that we keep lightning on the phone. I think that we make the transition. Here's why. First of all, there is a, a breakdown in connectors between things that work with iOS and things that work with Mac. Second of all, Apple quietly came up with a connector that they approved for use a few years ago for headphones so that people could make headphones that had this intermediate connector and then an adapter after that to adapt to either USB-C, USB-A, or Lightning. So you get a headphone that's got three dongles yeah. with it, which is well, kind of okay. nuts if you think about it. Yeah. And and they work lovely. Uh, so the Pioneer Rays were lightning only headphones. The Pioneer Rays Pro are these headphones that have six microphones. They're lovely. And they have those three connectors on them. And I, I just have to think that we have to move past that. We have to get to a point where we have common connectors again. Now, the, the reason why Apple keeps lightning around is that it's a part of their MFI program and they get licensing fees for people that make accessories that use them. They can't collect licensing fees nearly as well for something using USB-C. Oh, I see, of course, because it's not proprietary. I hadn't thought about that. Okay, so a purely commercial reason they get, to keep it. They get fees for the connectors and also for the approval of the accessory that works with it. Okay. Right. And nice business if you can get it. it well, yes. it's been a very lovely yeah. business. It was a fantastic business in the days of 30pin where there were speaker docks everywhere, right? Yes. And now when you look around, where are lightning accessories? Where are things that you plug into the lightning port? Well, there are a couple of cameras. There are a couple of microphones. There are um, a couple of flash drives that use lightning. Uh, what else you got? I mean, CarPlay systems are wired. Yeah, they use a lightning cable, but they could just as easily use a USB-C cable. And in fact, I'm thinking of the very nice uh, dock I have by my bed that has uh, lightning for iPad, iPhone, and kind of, no, it doesn't have it for the watch. So my iPad and iPhone sit very nicely by my bed on a very nice stand. And uh that would be gone. No, it wouldn't, because uh, most of these things actually route your uh, the cable Apple gives you through the unit. So if they gave you a USB-C cable instead, it might well fit. Okay, yeah. possibly. Yeah. So yeah. you know, there there are very few things that have a fixed lightning connector on them, <clears throat> and 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 I know there are devices out there, but I mean, in terms of numbers sold, it's not like. It's it's not like we're in 2008 and speaker docs rule the earth, right? Right. Those days have seemed to have gone. So, knowing that, it's probably an easier transition for Apple to move away from from that. Now, the MFI program is still a big program because things still have to be certified to work with it, but it just doesn't feel like it's as big a business as it once was. No. Well, Apple will still get heat for doing it the way they did the last time they moved the cable. I remember, you know, I can't remember when Lightning came in. It just seems to have always been here. 2012. 2012. Yeah. Grief. So long. I just remember that up to that point, I seemed to have the 30-pin connectors everywhere. And shortly afterwards, I just had Lightning connectors 
everywhere. I I actually joked that one of the reasons I bought a new iPhone was because I needed a new lightning cable. Um, uh, you know, it worked out. Uh, but yeah, the biggest problem with that transition was the lack of supply of lightning connectors for manufacturers at that time. They just didn't have enough to be able to uh, to, to to distribute at the time. You know, so that was there was sort of a shortage there. But they made that transition very quickly. They transitioned the phone, they transitioned the iPad, they transitioned the iPad Mini Four, and they were pretty much done. Mm. It was a very. But fast. Said, I mean, Apple transitioned quickly. Yeah, yeah. The rest of us took time. Uh, you know, it was in the next thing we bought, and then as soon as we had enough of them, suddenly our old docks wouldn't work. I mean, I, I, I'm actually, I'm looking at a dock right now on my shelf. I can't remember which one it is, but it's been lying there presumably now since 2012. That would have been the last time it would have worked for me. And that's sad. I liked that dock. But uh, I also remember at the time there was masses of criticism from uh, probably Samsung, people like Samsung, about how dare Apple change all this. And then I remember a photograph of somebody holding the different cables Samsung had been through in the same time that Apple had been on 30-pin adapters like this, fistful of cables. Apple will get heat just because it's Apple, really. But you're right, then the next thing you know, we won't remember, like I did, you won't remember when the change was. We'll just have moved on with our lives. Mm-hmm. Okay. Almost every day we hear something on the news about a cyber attack. Sometimes it's just a bunch of pranksters, but more often it's a foreign country with vast cyber resources trying to hack our power grid, our banking systems, or our military's information networks. The National Security Agency plays a big part in protecting our country from cyber attacks, and you can help. The NSA is hiring technical professionals to serve on the front lines of information security. If you work in computer science, networking, programming, or electrical engineering, you can help keep our country safe. Design new hardware systems and networks, write faster, smarter programs, protect America's critical infrastructure, or help uncover what our adversaries are planning to do next. Learn more about careers at the National Security Agency today. Visit intelligencecareers.gov NSA. That's intelligencecareers.gov NSA, and the NSA is capitalized. So I feel like we've talked about the Mac Mini and we've we've sidled into the iPad Pro because I think we're both kind of drawn to it. Uh, possibly I drawn shouldn't say drawn, that wasn't intentional. Drawn is such a bad pun yeah. when we're talking about Procreate and Adobe Photoshop. Yeah, Procreate still bothers me as a, a name, but Photoshop, seeing it actually demonstrated on the iPad Pro, that, that was gorgeous. I mean, I love Pixelmator Pro. Um, I've kind of swapped to it and on the Mac, and so I use Pixelmator on iOS. And I've been waiting for them to bring out Pixelmator Pro, which is still coming. They've just announced a Pixelmator Photo for iPad, which is obviously something slightly different. But seeing Photoshop, the Photoshop that used to be so familiar to me on an iPad screen, I, I, I can see me being tempted back into the fold. The thing that was interesting to that was that they made a lot of a fuss about calling it the real Photoshop. Yeah. And the reason for that is that it's very easy for people to release things. And I, I say easy, I gloss over it. It's not easy at all. But anyway, people release products for iOS and they tend to be cut down products. They tend to be products that are reduced in functionality. And Adobe's Photoshop on iPad Pro, when they say the real Photoshop, they mean it's running the same engine as Photoshop on the desktop, that this is the same code base and that all of the features are there. They also mean, I think, to differentiate it from the fact that they've pumped out at least half a dozen different Photoshop apps for iOS. And 
well, just to be a sweeping generalization, they're all rubbish because they all do one little thing you might use Photoshop for, but you end up having to use them all and then still not being able to do everything you want. So uh, I took it as I knew about the code base, but I'll take it also as this is the, you know, the genuine deal. This is, uh, this is what you need and what you'll move to. And I'm, I'm deeply impressed with how it looks and I can't wait to have a go. Now, on this program in the past, both with you and with Neil, we talked about the idea that the iPad was going to replace the Mac. And yes. I'm beginning to think that that was mistaken just by virtue of their announcement to, at, at the Apple event that 100 million active <laughs> – there are now 100 million active Macs thanks to a high number of new adopters. Yes. Yay for the Mac. Love my Mac. So this this idea that the iPad was going to replace everything – is either maybe still going to happen, but on a longer timeline, or that none of this matters at all, and it's just about using the right tool for the job. Uh, the best tool for the job is the one you have with you, and so I am all. I obviously I haven't. I've said I'm an iMac fan. I don't carry my iMac around. I do carry my iOS devices, and I do almost everything on them. I occasionally have to remote control back into the Mac to do tiny fiddly little things but i can do that so uh, i'm happy with whatever screen i have near me pretty much i just think i'm i'm intrigued by the fact that simultaneously there is the argument with reason that the ipad will replace the mac and an argument that the ipad is just for consumption we seem to have lived with both arguments forever and slowly we're getting used to the fact that we'll probably stop thinking of them as separate devices it's which is the nearest screen and i quite like the look of that idea it's about having the right tool for the job I, I really think that it is and i think that the the important thing is when a developer and the manufacturer are able to make the tools that help you do the job you know we started seeing this mm. with years ago we were able to do dual screens right around iphone 4 time is when we started being able to have a secondary screen on ios and yes. the thing that I used it for back then was presenting. I would run a presentation from the iOS device displayed up on the secondary screen. And I started out by using a VGA cable and then the HDMI cable and oh, sometimes yeah. uh, AirPlay. But being able to do that from the phone was a very powerful thing. The first time I ever did that was actually from the iPod photo where I converted my slides into photographs and just used my iPod photo to scroll through them on a projector. And I have also presented from my iPhone uh, and actually I, I choose not to now, not for any technical reason, but you're walking around the workshop, you're working with people. It looks like you're texting really rather than you're controlling the slides. You look like you're not there. Whereas with the iPad Pro in my hands, for some reason, the, the, the optics are much better for it. But yes, the fact that you can do it is uh, has changed how I present. It's I, brilliant. I presented at, uh, oh, I'm blanking on the name of the event now. Um, it's basically become Mobile World Congress in US. Um, it was a, a wireless event. I presented at one of those one year using the phone as my remote with my slides on it. It was fantastic. Mm. But, but, but the only point was about you know, the right tool. Um, and uh, I think we both present things, but just last night, for example, in my living room, I needed to show Angela a complicated route to get somewhere that she needs to go to. Um, I, I've been there before, she hasn't, so I was able to tell her you know, which roads to avoid. But I did it by chucking Apple Maps on my iPad Pro up onto our TV via um, 
uh, Apple TV. And so that ability to just drive in even that way, an external monitor was genuinely useful in just a domestic conversation. So the ability to hardwire drive uh, up to a 5K monitor, I can easily see how gorgeous that is, even though I probably wouldn't do it myself. Right. And I'm thinking about this in the context of the iPad Pro and being able to connect the 5K monitor and the drive and have all these things from the iPad Pro and be able to, you know, edit a feature film, for example. Yeah. And and be able One to thing, do that though, on set, maybe, because yes. these things are portable enough. Yes. Yeah, so you hear about films being edited. Uh, uh, I'm sure, I think I may be compressing two stories here, but there isn't there a film about a getaway car. And actually, while they were filming the getaway car, the editor was in the backseat editing the movies. So it's just ridiculous stuff like that that I love. But this is one point where we really need Mike Worthily here because he was pointing out to me uh, this whole thing about running 5K is not as straightforward um, as it seems. There's certain circumstances and certain monitors where it would work. But if you just happen to have a 5K monitor, you are not guaranteed to be able to plug it straight into the iPad Pro and work away. And and I don't know the details for it, um, but he does. Well, this is some of the things that Dan was talking about that they demonstrated, that there are conditions where you'll plug it in and due to the nature of resolution, what you'll end up getting is your iPad Pro image mirrored in sort of a in a black box frame. You'll have letter bars and and pillar bars on on either side of your image, because the size okay. of your actual image is smaller than the whole display. So there, it's it's tool specific, it's display specific. But the thing to remember is that these are early days, and if you're buying it for that functionality, okay. that you'll need to do the research to make sure that your specific use is going to be a supported one and that you're buying the right compatible parts. It's it's ugly to have to say that, especially when we're talking about an iOS device, but there are always these kind of teething problems with the very first sort of release yeah. of something. And, and we're really delighted when there aren't, but you know, you're relying on things that Apple doesn't make. Apple hasn't made the 5K displays, and it's it's just this very early friction on that. I would say... I would strongly expect with the next release of an iPad Pro or the next release of people's applications for the iPad Pro that these things smooth out. Yeah, absolutely. I've just, I had said it for a second there, as uh, so we've just had all these, we are what, uh, three, four days since we got these wonderful things. And already we're talking about the next one. And I am no different because I am expecting next year the iPad Pro will have an OLED screen. Um, it felt wrong having just liquid <laughs> retina this time so nice very nice <laughs> well we're talking that's about the important thing is yeah when is the next apple event you know when we've got to start some rumors about the next one anyway i'm sorry i was just being facetious again you were about to say something serious well, we were talking about jobs and jobs to be done and the work that you have to do and then the tasks right and how you put all these mm. things together and the right hire can make a huge impact on your business that's why it's so important to find the right person but where do you find that individual? You know, you can post a job on a job board and hope the right person will find your job. But think about it. How often do you hang out on job boards? Don't leave finding someone great to chance when you can post your job to a place where people go every day to make connections, grow in their career, and discover job opportunities, like LinkedIn. Most LinkedIn members haven't recently visited top job boards, but 9 out of 10 members are open to new opportunities. And with 70% of the U.S. workforce on LinkedIn, posting on LinkedIn is the best way to get your job seen. It's in front of more of the right people. People are qualified for your role and ready for something new. 
It's the best way to find the person who will help you grow your business and why a new hire is made every 10 seconds using LinkedIn. Hurry to linkedin.com slash Apple Insider and get $50 off your first job post. That's linkedin.com slash Apple Insider to get $50 off your first job post. linkedin.com slash Apple Insider. Terms and conditions apply. I was thinking as you said that about uh, jobs in the sense of you know, getting work done and things. And I am suddenly aware that I I used to travel everywhere with my iPad Pro and external keyboard, and I had them in a, a particular bag that I liked. And the last week or so, I've been going out to meetings and events with just my uh, iPhone XS Max um, and a very small portable keyboard that I don't think I can tell you about yet, but it's gorgeous. I just put those in my pocket and I walk around and I feel genuinely lighter and slightly more fashionable. Wait, wait, is that the portable keyboard that you and I have been talking about for the past three years? Yes, it is. Are we just going to leave that there and be mysterious? I'm just disgusted that they didn't contact me about it either. Okay, I think I accidentally got in the way. I think they were dialing your number when I popped up. And really, this is probably a discussion for (laughs) another time when we can say what (sighs) this is. Well, it goes back to to LinkedIn and making the right hire. We're going to have to interview for a podcast host here. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Wait a minute. You're the podcast host. Well, you're the the ne'er-do-well guest. Oh, I'm fine. Yeah, you're the star. Uh, Nonsense. No, but what we're going to have to do is – I'm going to have to have you send me some pictures of that thing, and we're going to talk more about it, because we're, at some point, we're going to talk publicly about that. Well, actually, hang on. Let's do this right now very quickly, because um, uh, the trouble is it was announced in 2015, and some have shipped. It is not available yet. That's why we aren't talking about it yet. But it's by a company called Waytools. It's called a text blade. It's an incredibly portable uh, keyboard, uh, but the portability and the size is just the start of it. It is a gorgeous piece of work, and we will be covering it but as soon as we can. It's, it's one of those bizarre things where they announced it in 2015, three years ago. And had not shipped and now have shipped some, but it's still not available. So it's it's one of those things where I would hesitate to say that we should talk about it because if if people can't buy it, what's the use? If they can't ship it reliably. Yes. If they can't ship it reliably, then you know, what are we doing here? It's it's not one of those things that we can safely endorse. No, I actually, I just personally, rather than me as an Apple Insider writer, I would thoroughly endorse it. I've written thousands of words on it, and I, I like it very much. Uh, but my interest at the moment about them is why it's taken so long. There have been, uh, I, I obviously don't know all of it, but the bits they've told me have been really fascinating uh, and quite illustrative of how hardware, how difficult hardware is these days for Hard, example hardware so, doesn't get released really. hardware never gets released hardware escapes from its cage leaving a trail yes. of entrails behind hardware okay, that's it's, what I'm, it's writers are told this difficult. as well <laughs> you, you never finish a piece of writing you just stop or it's taken away from you uh, i mean i i love that i get to write on apple insider i adore this stuff and talking to you it is absolutely great and, and i i am proud of what i write on apple insider but often when i do it i think you compare that to what uh Waytills has done with this keyboard or oh, every year apple creating these incredible devices the amount of work and talent and skill that comes in it i i'm in awe of anybody who develops apps i mean i've developed apps but you know strong apps the omni group uh microsoft even people who are creating tools that the rest of us can enjoy so much it is just a you know a glorious thing that's going on and we get to examine it it's brilliant it really is and we're really fortunate to be able to do it we're gonna have to wrap this thing up i do need to let you know about ops genie 
So incidents are inevitable, and it all comes down to how your company responds. Incidents require complex coordination between operations and software development teams who are the unsung heroes putting out fires every day. Getting alerts immediately is critical when an incident occurs, and that's why there's Ops Genie by Atlassian. Ops Genie empowers devs and ops to plan together for service disruptions and stay in control during incidents. Gives teams the power to respond quickly and efficiently to unplanned issues. Helps to notify all the right people through a smart combination of scheduling and escalation paths that takes into account things like time zones and holidays and allows for deep flexibility in how, when, and where alerts are deployed. Supported by over 200 integrations like Jira, Amazon CloudWatch, Datadog, New Relic, and more. And tracks all activity and provides useful insights to improve future incident responses. With Ops Genie, your next incident doesn't stand a chance. Visit OpsGenie.com to sign up to get a free company account and add up to five team members. That's OpsGenie.com. Never miss a critical alert again with Ops Genie. William, we're, we're going to have to talk more about this. I, I have a strong feeling that these devices are ones that are going to touch our, our readers and listeners in different ways. I, I feel like the MacBook Air is going to be the runaway success just because uh, – anecdotally, everyone I know has so much love for it, right? Yes, totally. The Mac Mini is is sort of that weird space between consumers that don't want to let go of a Mac Mini. You know, they just like having options for screens. They like having options for, for a machine that is flexible and powerful. And, and the Mac Mini certainly fills that gap. But it's, it's sort of a small gap in the product line. The iPad Pro is probably the one that we hear a lot more about. Because you know you you see it popping up. You see people like yourself using it. You see people using them on airplanes, which with the twelve inch size used to be kind of ridiculous. Now that it's that much smaller volume is probably practical. It's I I think these are things that are going to end up shaping the way we do work over the next few years. Yeah, uh, it's exciting, isn't it? I mean, uh, you can't uh, take away the fact that these things are expensive. I can't just wander down to the Apple store now and pick up an iMac, a MacBook Air, and an iPad. Uh, but it is kind of what I'm working towards, and it will change how I do things, and it will change things for the better. And I, I, I'm weirdly sounding optimistic today, and I'm in Britain. We're having Brexit. I like this newfound optimism of mine, but it is a good time to be using Apple gear, I think. And that's all the time we have today. I'm Victor at Vmarks on Twitter, uh, Victor at AppleInsider.com. And joining me is William, always look on the bright side of life, Gallagher. <laughs> Can we have sometimes look on the bright side? Yeah, uh, I'm uh, on Twitter as W Gallagher, and I'm William at AppleInsider.com as well. Fantastic. We will see you back next week. Thank you so much, everyone. <laughs> <laughs>